So as we are here on Mother's Day, I want to talk about something that I learned from my dad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Segway's kind of hard to work with. But um, So I remember as a boy, and I grew up just background information, just so you understand where I'm coming from. I have five brothers. I'm in the middle. And most of the home improvement projects that we did were not home and garden, like, acceptable. Like, so my dad would come up with a plan, and we would begin doing demo, and we, would, we did a lot of remodeling on our house. We did it. We didn't bring a carpenter in or a plumber in or an electrician in. We did it all. And so I learned a lot of things. And one of the things that happened during these renovation projects is I couldn't understand why we were doing certain things at certain times. Didn't understand it. But then as we moved through the project, it became clear that my dad had thought this through every step of the way and didn't tell us exactly what we were doing. Just said, go do that, go do that, work on this, do this. And as we got to that next step, I could see, oh, that's why we did this way back there. But he had it all figured out. He had a, in other words, he had a long-range plan, but I just saw the short term, and it was all about the short term with me. And I think that's partly why sometimes we struggle with understanding God in our lives. Because God has this long-term plan going on, and we're just seeing kind of these days and weeks of our lives and these struggles that we have and these problems that we have and these situations that we have and these relationships we have. And we go, God, what are you doing? I'm absolutely confused by what you're doing in my life. I don't understand it. And that's kind of what we want to talk about this week. And we want to look at Psalm 77 because the psalmist essentially is saying to God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't get it. I know, I, I see, I know that you're there, but I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand the plan. I don't, I don't get the long term. What are you doing here? And why am I going through this? I think it's a common issue that we have from time to time. And essentially what it comes down to is the psalmist is saying, God, I don't understand you. I want to trust you, but I wish I knew more. I wish I understood more. And, and, and essentially, that's what Job's argument was, wasn't it? It was, it was God, uh, I just want to know what you're doing. And God says, you know what? I'm God, and I don't really need to share with you. And you're going to have to be good with that. And by the way, think about this. And maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But think about the book of Job. Would you like to have... God to tell you everything that you were going to go through beforehand? Oh, by the way, Job, you know, your family, they're going to be over having a great time and they're all going to die. The building's going to cave in, you know, and, and, and you know, every bit of wealth you have is all going to be taken. It's all going to be gone. And by the way, you know how you've been feeling really strong and good and, you know, just kind of hitting the gym and, you know, just getting after it? Yeah, you're going to really feel like crap, like really quick here. It's, 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 you know, and Job says, well, thank you. May I have some more of that? You know, I mean, nobody wants that. We don't want to know that, but we keep asking that, right? So sometimes we're confused, and, and I think the writer Isaiah put it right. Here's what Isaiah says, and this is God speaking, not just through Isaiah, but to us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither 
are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, God's saying, I'm God, you're not. You're just going to have to be good with that. Now, here, here's, so the question is, how do, we, how do we handle life when it gets hard and confusing? How do we do that? And that's really what I want to kind of focus on today. Because um, we live in a time, I think, we live in this time, in, and I think the human, what we, have, what we have accomplished and what we are accomplished through medicine and through science and through all these things is incredible. I mean, today, what we do today is, is amazing. It's amazing to me. And, and, and so I think that, that we have this attitude or we have this belief that with enough time and enough money, we can solve any problem. But we can't. We can't. There's two problems with that view. One is we're really impatient and we want a solution today, right now. We may have made a mess of our health, but we want it solved today. We want to take a pill. We want to, we don't have to want to exercise or we don't want to have to go on a diet. We just want to be able to take a pill. I just want to take a pill. I just want to rub an ointment on it. That's all I want to do. Just, that's all I want to do. I want an instant, and and there isn't, there isn't, there usually aren't instant solutions. Secondly, and we know this, every problem can't be solved. Every problem can't be solved. So what do we do when we, we come to that place where we realize that, that, that there's, no sh- there's no short-term solution and every problem can't be solved? Well, here's what many people in the world are doing today, and they're doing it this weekend around this community. They distract themselves from life. They basically play Sergeant Schultz. And if you don't know who Sergeant Schultz is, talk to somebody who's over 50. Um, essentially, they, they put their head in, uh, they put their head down and they distract themselves and they think about anything else but what's going on before them. So they veg out or they binge watch TV or they self-medicate or they go, uh, they get drunk or they do drugs or sometimes They'll go so far to take their lives. And we've seen that. Maybe even our families. See, our society finds it very hard to soberly face difficult truths of life. So, so what we want to do is we want to look at Psalm 77 because the psalmist is basically going through difficult times. He's basically saying, here's what I learned. So let me give you a breakdown of Psalm 77. Uh, verses 1 through 9 is a time of reflection. It's a, a kind of a lament. A lament means that he's, he's struggling and he's sharing his emotions with God and he's, he's pouring his heart out before God. And he's questioning God. And much of the questioning is addressed not to God but self. There's I, 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 I. You read down through verses 1 through 9, it's I, I. It's all about me, right? And, and let, me give you, let me give you a taste of that. Psalm 77, one, verses 1 through 4. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out uh, uh, untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You, you You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. And so the psalmist is struggling here. He's struggling with the fundamental goodness of God. He's wondering, God, what are you doing? And then look at verses 7. He asks these questions. 
Will the, re- will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed me for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has, has he in anger withheld his compassion? You see, these are really serious questions the psalmist is asking. He's going, what's going on, God? Where are you? What, what's happening here? Maybe you felt like that. And maybe it wasn't a month ago or a week ago or a year ago, but it's right now. You're in the middle of it. But then we come to what I think is the fundamental change of the psalm. When you come to verse 10, uh, there's a fundamental change. And the psalmist begins to reflect on the powerful saving acts of God in history. And he looks to what God did in the past. And notice the focus goes, if you read through the psalm, it goes from I to you. He stops talking about me and he starts looking at God. Let me read you uh, verses 10 through 11. Then I thought, to this I will appeal the years when the Most High stretch out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of God. Yes, I will remember the miracles of long ago. And I think this is the turning point in the whole psalm. So the question is, what did the psalmist do? What did the psalmist discover? And how did he change his mind? How did he change his heart? How did he get to a place where he was confused by God, but he went to a place of trusting God, even in in the midst of his confusion? So the question is, how do we make the move from confusion to trust? Because that's what he does in the psalm. And I think that we need to know that because we're going to have times in our lives, we're going to need to know how, how do we turn the switch? How do we do that? What does that look like? And for the psalmist, it, was a t- it, meant, it was going to, it meant he needed to reflect and remember the mighty deeds of God. Now, when we meditate, we think about God's words. And what the psalmist is saying is, I'm going to think about deep down until it affects my heart. In other words, I'm going to reflect upon it. I'm going to meditate. It, I'm going to think about it until not just it's in my head, but it's in my heart. It becomes deep within me. And what is he meditating on? He's meditating on the faithfulness of God in the past. And I believe that's the key to, under, to handling uncertainty, difficulty, and disappointment with God, is we have to go back and look at how God has been faithful in the past. That's what the psalmist does. Now, the psalmist isn't just being stoic. He's not just gritting his teeth and saying, well, I'm just going to get through this. I'm going to try it. I'm not going to ask for any help. I'm just going to... No, that's not what he's doing. He is venting. And the other side of it is he's not simply just venting his feelings and just you know, blowing up like a volcano. Volcano, right? He's redirecting his thoughts and his feelings towards the truth about God. So the question I want to ask is, what is the right way to meditate? You know, many people meditate, um, and what they do is they tend to look within themselves. You know, mm, you know, you get the you put your hands, you sit in a certain position, and you you hum or you listen to a certain kind of music. And uh, you sometimes people will say, and they'll, they'll say, and maybe this is related to meditation, but they'll they'll do things like they'll say, you need to meditate, you need to look within yourself, or we have a more common one to say, follow your heart. Follow your heart. That's what you need to do. Follow your heart. It's a creed. It's embraced by millions of people. It's a statement of faith. Uh, it, um, it's one of the cultural myths. It's the gospel of, of Western culture. Follow your heart. It, it's, it's the truth that has made many stories, movies, and songs. Follow your heart. Isn't it? Um, you've heard it. 
Your heart is a compass that will direct you uh, to your own true north if you'll just have the courage to follow your heart. The problem you have is you're just not being true to yourself, true to your heart. You're confused because you're not following your heart. You're trying to be somebody that you're not. Follow your heart. Well, let me give you a few reasons why you shouldn't follow your heart. This is going to ruin it for some of you, isn't it? Because you walked in thinking, well, I'm trying to follow my heart, and I think that's what I should do. Well, let me push back a little bit on that. Why shouldn't you follow your heart? Number one, it's unreliable and foolish. I know, it sounds, it sounds romantic and noble. It sells millions of records and books. It, it, you, you can go to philosophy shelves and find books of philosophy and self-help. And you can go to New Age gurus and go to a weekend seminar and they will tell you the truth is within you. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Here's what the writer of Proverbs says. He who trusts in his own heart is a, what does it say? Fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. So whoever was walking wisely, they're not following their heart. Now, this is the word of God talking, so it's pushing back a little bit on our culture. So we say, hey, what, does that, what does that mean? Now think about it. If you're honest, following your heart is probably caused you to make some really poor choices. Think about that. If When you follow your feelings and your emotions, which are shallow, which are fleeting, which are fickle, which are unreliable, which can go up and down with a whim, that doesn't really seem like a good plan, does it? You know, and I know, people who have thrown away their families for a fling with an attractive co-worker because they've Followed their heart. People who have lost their life savings, they followed a, a get-rich scheme because they followed their heart. There are times where your heart says, go for it, when you should say, maybe I should ask somebody else what I should do. So, so it's unreliable and it's foolish. Secondly, it's corrupt. Scripture doesn't stop there. It doesn't say just it, it, it's, it's a foolish. It's corrupt. You can't trust your heart because it's broken. Your heart is basically selfish and sinful. This is what uh, Jeremiah the prophet says about your heart. The heart is dis deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So the writer Jeremiah says you cannot trust your heart. It will lie to you. You say, well, that's Jeremiah. He's Old Testament. I'm New Testament pastor. I'm a New Testament Christian. I don't follow the Old Testament. And by the way, that's ridiculous. So I don't know, you know, if you think that, you really need to read your Bible more. Well, let me give you Jesus. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. So Jesus doesn't just say the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He gives you examples of how it is that way. He gives you, let me give you a few ways that it's your heart is not to be trusted. So if your heart is foolish, if it's unreliable, if it's corrupt, what do you do? Now here's the thing. 
When you're confused about God, don't follow your heart because your heart will not save you. In fact, we need to save our hearts. Our hearts were never intended to save us. We are never designed. We weren't designed. We weren't. Our hearts weren't designed to lead us. We were designed to lead our hearts. It's exactly the opposite. So what I'm telling you is don't believe in your heart. Direct your heart. Believe in God. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 3. He says, May the Lord direct your hearts in God's love and Christ's perseverance. So the heart isn't something you follow, it's something you direct. It's not something you trust in, it's something you have to lead and guide and maintain and manage. And, 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 and we're talking about confusion in the midst of what God is doing in our lives. And what is your heart doing? Don't trust God. What is He doing? You know, why? Your heart's going off. Well, how do you lead your heart? How do you lead your heart? Well, that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about. And I just have a little bit of time to talk about it. Um, let me give you this, this verse. Let me read you Psalm 30, uh, 43, 5. It says this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, the, the phrase I want you to see is, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you, why are you so disturbed within me? So he's talking about the soul. Okay, so let me just, I'm going to get a little theological here. And there, if you are theological, you may nitpick me here, but that's fine. I really don't care. You can come, we can talk afterwards. So, I believe that man is uh, dichotomous. Again, it's a theological word. That we are, we, are, we are physical and we are spiritual beings. Okay? Now, trichotomists say that there's a spirit, soul, and, and body. Okay? I just think that we're, we're, we're physical and we're spiritual. Okay? I just keep it simple. So, I use the word soul and spirit and heart and mind as the immaterial part of a person. It's who you are, it's your personality, it's your spirit. And then you have your physical body, okay? So when he says here, why my soul are you downcast? He's talking to that immaterial part of yourself, your soul, your spirit, your heart. Now, what's interesting here is a number of years ago, I was reading through this and I was, I don't know, I was doing devotion, I was going through the Psalms, must be. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that the psalmist was talking to his heart. He was, he, was, he was having a kind of an inner dialogue with his spirit, with his heart. And he was saying to himself, what are you doing? <laughs> he was, in other words, he's directing his heart. He's teaching his heart. He's, he's taking control of his heart. He's not listening to his heart. He's hearing what his heart is saying. He's saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's calling his heart to the carpet. And he's saying, what are you doing? And I thought, this is it. This is, this is part of what I need to do. I need to stop listening to my heart, and I need to start talking to my heart. I need to start directing my heart. I need to t- sometimes say to my heart, stop it. So the point I want you to see is you can either follow your heart, you can listen to your heart, or you can talk to your heart, you can lead your heart. And what the psalmist does in Psalm 77 is he stops listening to his heart and he starts talking to his heart. 
He starts directing his heart. He starts managing his heart. Look at what the, uh, I don't think I have this uh, up on the screen, but you can write it down, Proverbs 23, 19. He says this, Listen, my son, and be wise. Set your heart on the right path. Set your heart on the right path. Meaning that you have control over your heart. You have control over your, your emotions, your feelings. You can control those. You can manage those. You don't have to be controlled by them. And I believe what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 77 is he's speaking to his heart. He's leading his heart. He's reminding his heart of God who is great, who is faithful, who is powerful, whose loving works of, uh, in the past gives him the confidence that he can trust him in the future, even if I don't understand it. That's what he's doing. So he's educating his, he's bringing his heart back to remember and say, listen, We're not going to do that. We're not going to go there. We're going to reflect on what God has done and He's been faithful. And why would we believe that He's any different now? So this changed his attitude. He meditated on the past works of God and he found hope, confidence, and relief. So let me give you a couple of steps because here's the problem. It's one thing to see that's what's going on within us. It's another thing to say, okay, so how do I manage that? How do I maintain that how do i when when i'm struggling in the middle of the stress how do i how do i struggle let me give you some critical steps in leading your heart the first one is this you need to guard your heart some of us and i'm not saying this to offend you i'm speaking to myself some of us with our hearts are absolutely complete idiots we are we are look at what proverbs says in proverbs chapter 4 verse 20 My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. I want to ask you this. If your heart is troubled, if you're anxious, if you're worried, I want to ask you a question. What have you been allowing your heart to hear What have you been listening to? Who have you been listening to? You say, well, I'm really worried. Well, what have you been listening to? What have you been watching? What have you been looking at? What have your eyes been looking at? Do you know your your eyes and your ears are gates? And I want to tell you something. Most of the time, we have left those things open and we have gone and we have looked at things and we have listened to things that we should have said, no, I'm not going there. No, I'm not going to look at that. No, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to walk away from it because this is not helping my heart. Some of you get all bent out of shape about politics. I get it. Some of you listen to people that say the world is ending tomorrow. This is the worst person. He's the worst person. That's a terrible person. They're horrible. And I just say, what are you allowing to go through your eye gate and through your ear gate that is causing your heart to be judgmental and angry and worried and frustrated? You say, where's that coming from? Probably from the TV. Probably from the internet. Some of you struggle with sexual... Thoughts. Where are your eyes going? What are you watching? 
What are you looking at? Are you protecting your heart? Or are you just letting it in? Let me ask you another question. We had the kids up here. It's great having the kids up here. Do you let your kids watch anything? On, well, listen, I know some parents that do, and shame on you. I mean, I, hopefully you're not here today, but... No, I mean, seriously, you, I think, probably manage what your kids see and hear. Well, why don't you do it with yourself? Look what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great the darkness. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying is, if you are looking at schmutt, and if you're listening to bad stuff, and you're taking all of that in, and you're not protecting the gate of your heart, what do you think your heart's going to end up being? All right, so that's the first one. Guard your heart. Stop being, stop walking out there with no gates or, you know, do you leave your door open at night in the house? Do you leave the windows up and just say, hey, if you want to come in, you know, robbers, bad people, come on in. No, you shut it and you lock it. And then you worry when you drive away, did I put the garage door down? I don't remember. <laughs> right? You see, you're worried about your house. What about your What about yourself? <laughs> do you, do you put a gate up, man. Lock the gate. Walk away. Here's the second one. Set or reset your heart. Set or reset your heart. So the psalmist, what I think he's doing in Psalm 77 is he's resetting his heart. His, see, here's what happens. It would be nice if you just had to reset your... What do you do when your phone starts acting... Uh, you know, buggy or your, your computer, what do they tell you? Reboot it. <laughs> reboot it, it'll fix it 90% of the time. If it doesn't work, just reboot it. And, it. and the phone says, oh yeah, now this is how I'm supposed to work. I'll work right now for a while and then I'm going to have to reboot me again. Uh, or your computer is the same way. You reboot it, right? So sometimes what you have to do, it would be nice if you didn't have to, you didn't ever have to do it, but you always are doing that. You're rebooting this, you're rebooting that. Your heart is the same way. You have to constantly reboot it. But here's the point. You're in the middle of it. You're struggling. And maybe you need a friend to kind of say, hey, you need to reboot. You need to reboot. And what that means is you need to get quiet before God. You say, God, my heart's going crazy here. It's it's." going wild and that's where the psalmist comes in and says why my soul are you downcast what are you doing so sometimes you need to set or reset your heart reboot it your heart if you haven't noticed this yet mine is this way it's driven by our circumstances you could have a great day going and then all of a sudden one little thing will happen and all of a sudden your heart goes Eh, eh, eh. it's a horrible day what terrible and bad what a bad day what an awful and you go no it's not <laughs> reboot you allow your heart to go off it becomes a hot mess you worry you fear you get angry you become bitter paul says this in philippians or excuse me, Colossians. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts 
on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, why would he say that? Because what are, most of the things that we worry about is we say, am I going to be okay? Does God care? Does he love me? And where does he put Jesus? He's not just in heaven, but he's seated at the right hand of the Father, which is the hand of power of the whole universe as we know it. What he's saying here is when you're worried and you're concerned and you're anxious, picture Jesus sitting on the throne. He's still in control, not just of the universe, but of everything that happens in your life. A sparrow doesn't fall without him knowing it. A hair doesn't fall from your head without him knowing it. And then he says this. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. The change of your mind, change of your heart. You don't follow your heart. You lead your heart. You reboot your heart. You protect your heart. Paul says this in Romans, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, the renewing of your mind is, I think, your heart. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. You see what's going on here? You see what's going on in your life? You left the gates open. You've allowed the world just to kind of flood in and you wonder why you're worried and upset and concerned and frustrated and wondering whether God loves you and cares about you and you're not taking in the Word of God. You're not allowing that into the gate of your, your, your eye gate or your ear gate. And you wonder why you're, you're panicking and, you, and, you, and your heart begins to go off and instead of calling your heart to, t- to carpet and saying stop it and rebooting your heart, you're just letting it go. Let me give you some final heart-directing reflections. When you're confused about God and His goodness, here's some of the things you should think on. By the way, Paul has a great passage, and maybe this is one you should memorize. And I'm not going to quote it all, but eventually he says, whatever thing is true, whatever thing is lovely, whatever thing is good, whatever thing is... And he goes on, whatever is this, and it's all positive. He says, think on these things. Change your heart. Reboot your heart. So when you're confused about God and His goodness, think on these things. God ought to be very angry with us, but He's not. God should have destroyed the fallen and rebellious world, but He hasn't. God should not come to us, but He did. God's love should not be unconditional, but it is. God shouldn't have washed his hand he should have washed his hands of us a long time ago but he hasn't God should have turned away knowing your dark secrets and mine but he didn't God should have he shouldn't give us forgiveness eternal life and joy but that's exactly what he does Paul says this, and we'll close with this passage. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And the answer is no one. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? No one. For from him and through him and for him are all things. 
To him be the glory forever. Amen. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we have some messed up hearts today. It would be nice if we, when we rebooted them, reset them, that they would stay rebooted, reset, but they don't. Some of us need to put gates up on our eyes and our ear gates. We've let those gates go crazy. Some of us need to reset our hearts, reboot our hearts. Some of us may need to have a friend tell us, hey, you need to reboot, let me help you. But as we reboot, Father, help us to meditate and reflect on your word. Help us not to be led by our heart or to follow our heart, but to train our heart, to manage our heart, to direct our heart, to lead our heart instead of being led by it. Father, we will always be confused by you because we're not God. But we should never be confused that you love us, even if we don't understand what you're doing. May we trust you, and may we reflect on your good works in our lives in the past and the promises that you have made to us. And may we retrain our heart in those difficult and dark times. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.